We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, uh, listeners, to the first Queen City Hoops podcast that, that we really we don't have a, a name for quite yet. Um, I guess we'll Richie and I will decide later whether we're going to put this one out there live. But um, I'm Spencer Percy, managing editor, uh, QueenCityHoops.com, and, and joining me uh, is Richie Randall, new contributor uh, to QCH, uh, Queen City Hoops. We're real happy to have him. He's already been doing some really good stuff. Uh, on the site, so be sure to check that out. Um, so yeah, I, I think we'll go ahead and jump right in here in a second. I, I guess I'll, I'll give Richie kind of a chance to introduce himself and talk a little bit about what we're trying to do here. Yeah, my name is Richie. I started contributing to the Queen City Hoops blog probably around June or July, kind of like when the draft was coming about. And you know, we, Spencer and I just wanted to start this podcast to kind of get it out to our our followers and just kind of add a different avenue in which they can kind of get our our stuff. Nice. So I would say that um, if you listen to a Hornets podcast out there, and there's there's really only a few, this is uh, I, we're, we're going to be strictly basketball. We're going to be pretty raw in our approach uh, to talking Hornets basketball, um, and we want to you know we want to get our audience as involved as possible. So uh, certainly appreciate any feedback that people have. Uh, let us know what we can do better if you enjoy it, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So Richie, let's let's jump right in, um, and I'll preface this first. Uh, point that we're going to talk about with I haven't watched the game yet so right <laughs> I, did not, I did not have a chance to see uh the game in Minnesota last night a huge win so I'm just going to kind of pass it off to you since you watched the game let's start there with the Hornets seventh win of the season another uh big road win uh early on Richie what did you see yeah I mean it was kind of like very similar to some of the games in the past where they've had a slow start in the first half um, the defense wasn't the greatest. Uh, we gave up a lot of offensive rebounds, um, and it kind of took that halftime speech to uh, turn things around. And, and Kemba really is the only consistent from quarter one to quarter four. Um, so when they came out of the half, you know they were they were down by I want to say double digits, and you know the third quarter was very strong. Um, I'm not sure they would have played that strong if if it was a close game, but because it you know, it seems like they were down. Clifford probably got into them, um, and they they addressed most of the issues with uh, boxing out, um, grabbing defensive rebounds. And the third quarter really was the the quarter that kind of uh, put us over the top there. Yeah, it, it seemed um, it seemed to me like 
kind of the same story of what we've seen this year with the Hornets. Like you said, they get off to that slow start, but I just I still can't believe how good Kimball Walker has been this year. It's it's unreal. He he's saving the day consistently for this team. Again last night, super efficient. I think twelve of nineteen. Uh, he's knocking down the three, you know, which carries over from last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's like there's not a defensive approach for him, which for so long it was, you know, go under, sag, sag low, don't let him beat you off the dribble. And now it's like no matter how you really defend right. him, Kimba's got it figured out what he's going to do, um, you know, to make the defense pay for that. And on top of that, we saw it again last night uh, or you did. I haven't yet. I'll see it after we're done here. But, you know, Zeller and his IQ coming to set that screen. So if his defender is jumping out ahead or what I would say north of him trying to hedge hard on Kimba when he comes over the screen, Zeller's slipping it before he even gets to the level of the screen. And he, his IQ has has risen so rapidly. Um, a little bit surprising to me. You've made the point to me in the past, and Kimba's delivering those those little slip passes perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's I think those two guys more than anyone else are making the offense click. Yeah, and I, I love those two together. And obviously Zeller pairs well with Batum. Um, but there's a couple instances last night where they and that's what they're kind of doing to Kimba is like you know he does a great job of shooting, a great job of getting to the basket, but they're trying to trap him now. And uh, like you said, if, if Zeller can just slip it and Kimba makes that pass in between those two defenders, then, then it opens up, like you say, basically a four-on-three situation. And, and there was a one situation in which he slipped it. He, he made a pass to Zeller, and Zeller made the, like, the immediate pass out to the corner three. I don't think we made the basket, but just the, just the thought of him getting that pass out there and kind of getting that ball moving because that's what they're starting to do now to Kimba. Right, right, right. And so, you know, those two, to me, have, have really have really made it all go for the Hornets offense this year. It's been a pleasant surprise, really, for both. I mean, I think that everyone wanted to say, yeah, Kimba, maybe he keeps it up, what he did last year. You know, Zeller is kind of prove it to us kind of year for him. He's overexceeded. So, see, Zeller last night is 6 of 9, 14 points, 9 rebounds, an assist, a blocked shot, 0 turnovers. Yeah. Uh, and, and two fouls. So he's guarding without fouling in 30 minutes of play, which is not easy to do against what has been a really, really good Minnesota offense uh, so far this year. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so impressed with Cody Zeller, and, and I think that, again, last night you see 150, 115 points for the uh, for the Hornets, and, and, and Zeller's a big part of that. Um, let's see, other takeaways from this game, Richie? Anything you noted? I mean, Batum played well. Batum played well. Uh, he kind of, uh, you know, stuffed the stat sheet um, in all areas. And, and once again, it, t- it took the third quarter for, for any of those players outside of Kemba to kind of step up. And then Kaminsky, Kaminsky played well as as well. In, in, in the Cleveland game, he was he was pretty terrible. Um, but he was uh, making yeah. some threes. I still think his uh, his defense is, is lacking. Um, and we're just almost going to have to hide him at, at times. Uh, but... Kaminsky did play well after uh, a poor outing in Cleveland. Yeah, so let's let's. This is exactly mm-hmm. who I wanted to, those two guys. I wanted to talk about those from last night specifically. I just from seeing the highlights this morning and looking at the box score. So let's start with Batum, and then let's talk about Frank because I know everybody wants to hear about Frank. He's he's always going to be a hot topic, especially after a game like he had last night. Um, Batum, it seems like to me he has figured out. Well, number one he's the kind of guy who's perfectly fine taking the back seat. So he knows this is Kemba's team. 
he likes being the Robin to, to you know, to the Batman, the Kimbiz for this squad. And it seems to me that he's figured out how to play with Kimba. Like, and what I mean by that is when to insert himself offensively and be aggressive offensively. Um, and, and I don't have any data right in front of me, but last year, a lot of times it was like, Batum was wondering, like, is it my time to take over? Do I need to look for my own shot? Do I need to come? To, do I need to come de- demand the ball right now? Um, it feels to me like he definitely understands and is comfortable with his role in Charlotte, and he understands how to play, um, how to play beside Kimba. I mean, I, I thought in the third quarter last night, uh, from the stuff I read, I mean, Batum really spearheaded that run. I think for yeah. the in the third quarter, definitely. And like you said, he, he's he's finding ways to play. You know, with Kemba, he he's not the type of player that is going to take over a game when it comes to like points. I mean, he might have a game here and there. Uh, he's very much of a distributor, and you know he works well with the pick and roll. Uh, but he def- definitely takes a back seat when it comes to Kemba because Kemba is the is the guy for the Hornets. He's the, he's the one that's going to take over the games. He's the one that we give the ball to. Um, and the fact that Batum is getting a little bit more comfortable. Um, is definitely a good sign, and, and you can definitely see the effects in our offense. Yeah, so last night, Batum, uh, 16 points on five of nine shooting. He hits four out of five triples, and, man, that guy is good coming off pin-down screens. For a guy of his size, he is a really good player coming off a pin-down screen, almost like a J.J. Redick, and you can't close out on him because he's too tall. And you also notice when he comes off those screens when he's shooting, I've always noticed that he doesn't really square up until he's, like, catching and shooting and he's I'm not saying he's mastered that but he's done a good job of kind of catching and and turning and turning at the same time and shooting not a lot of players can do that and they're really not taught to do that yeah exactly it's such an underrated part of Batum's offensive arsenal because you can't guard it so by the time you're coming off the hip of of Zeller or Hibbert Mm -hmm. or whoever screening for Batum he's already into a shot Uh, and so it's you can't guard it unless you hedge really hard with a help defender, and the Hornets have gotten really good at slipping that and reading that action, so which we talked about earlier. Um, all right, so let's let's transition and talk about Frank before we move on here. Uh, Frank, I think without a doubt, uh, I don't know if you agree, Richie, his best game of the season. I think is that fair? I think so. I would yeah, say so. I, I think so. So Frank goes for twenty last night. He's eight of fourteen from the field. He hits three out of seven triples. Um, you know, pitches in five assists, which I think is probably what you really take away from from last night and then and then four uh four rebounds so uh, yeah i think frank had a complete game he ends the game for the hornets on the floor at the power forward position which i was uh, bantering back and forth with some with some twitter uh mm-hmm. people today that that's a big deal because marvin does not finish the game um richie what'd you see last night from frank that, well yeah. well marvin marvin was not shooting the ball very no, well yeah. so that that might have had a an impact on that on that situation there. Yeah, I mean Frank just I'm so hesitant on whether to call him a power forward or center because there's there's there are definitely things that he does well at the power forward position. I think maybe on D he's a little bit suited better suited to play D at power forward. Um, he does struggle a little bit when it comes to closing out on defense. And I noticed a couple of times when he's guarding someone out on the perimeter and a shot goes up he will just stare at it. He doesn't think that the ball is going to come back out to him. And, you know, when he's down low, he's not the most powerful guy, but at least he at least attempts to b- block out. But on the outside, I've noticed a couple times last night, he uh, he just kind of stood there. And, like, on long shots, results in long rebounds. So he needs to be definitely active out there. 
and then down low, I think that he does a good job, um, and also driving to the rim. And then last night, his three was falling. So if his three falls, he definitely is very a very powerful player for the Hornets. Yeah, that's um, that's a good point. I like the point you make about you know him kind of standing defensively, not going to the glass with with a purpose, with an intensity. I mean, that that's the thing with Frank that frustrates me the most at, at this point in his, his early career is he, he just, you know, he doesn't play with that fire on the defensive end and that sense of urgency uh, rebounding the basketball that any seven-footer has to. I mean, if you want to work in the NBA, you know, you, you've got to be able to rebound, rebound the basketball, and he has not proven that he can do that yet. But uh, offensively, great night for Frank. I probably want to be biggest signs for the Hornets, especially off their bench early in the season. Um, let's see, Bellinelli last night, 12 points, 5 of 8, 2 of 2 from behind the arc. He continues to be big. Uh, I, I think we're going to talk about him a little bit more in the show, but I, I knew, well, I'll just save that for later. I, I, we'll save Yeah, I, I get off of my Bellinelli rant. I, I knew that <laughs> I knew that trade was worth it. Um, all right, uh, other than that, Hibbert comes back, has a nice – uh, he only plays eleven minutes. Uh, scores. They're slow. They're slowly working him back from from the injury yeah. uh, in Cleveland. He was on a minutes restriction, and I got, I'm assuming the same thing was uh, took place in in Minnesota. So yeah, not. I mean, he, he's 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 decent while he's out there. Um, it's just it's almost like he can't really get into the rhythm of it because he's only playing, you know. 15 minutes a game exactly yeah so last night Hibbert goes for nine points four or five shooting again he only plays 11 minutes uh and he yanks down four boards so I mean I, I think that's a guy as the season moves forward you're, people are going to understand his value and he gave us a glimpse into that uh with the season opener in Milwaukee um right all right so let's move to Atlanta uh Friday night the Hawks who are sitting at eight and two right now come into Charlotte which looks like a looks like a really big early season Eastern Conference showdown. I mean, I think this game tells us a lot. You know, the Hornets play the Raptors, who are obviously going to be a, probably a top three team in the East, right down to the wire last week, probably a game they should have won. And this kind of feels like the same game, right? It's a weekend game. The Hive should be full. It's against a, 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 a team that's really showed a lot of promise earlier in the season than the Hawks. Um, and I think it's a statement game for the Hornets. You know, I think this is one of those mm-hmm. games. Yes, they're seven and three. Yes, they're ho humming their way to the, the Steve Clifford ball. And maybe some people aren't that surprised at what they've done, but they need that staple win, right? They need that. Yeah. Go ahead. Definitely. I mean, we're we're seven and three, uh, which is a great record after ten games. Um, but those three losses have come to some of the top competitors in the East, with Boston, with Cleveland, and with Toronto. So a win on Friday night would be, you know. A great boost to uh, the morale. Uh, it would feel like they actually had that marquee win. So yeah, I definitely think Friday is going to be very exciting at the Spectrum Center. Yeah, I think that you know I think Hornets fans. I mean, I, I certainly feel like yeah, this is awesome. I love Steve Clever. What this team does is so consistent. It's so hard to beat them. They're always competitive, is what the national writers will, will use. Uh, the Hornets are always going to be competitive. I think I, I think fans are tired of the competitive thing. We feel like this team should be getting wins against the Clevelands, Torontos, uh, Atlantas, Bostons of the Eastern Conference. And here's a, here's a chance for the Hornets to do it um, this Friday night. So I guess I hope I'm speaking for the fan base. I'm tired of the competitive name tag. You know, I, I want the contender name tag, and I think this team can get there. Yeah, it's just going to have to come with those wins because, you know, those, those three losses, you know, we, we played competitive. We had the chance to win. Uh, we definitely have to be more consistent in, in closing out games and making sure that we do get those wins against the top teams in the East. Right. Okay. So let's 
let's look a little bit at the Hawks and, and what kind of problems they're going to present mm-hmm. Friday, and they're going to present a lot of problems. Um, let's just start with the obvious, I think. Dwight Howard's having – he's looking like the Dwight Howard uh, of almost like Orlando Dwight Howard. Uh, you know, he's, he seems motivated. I've gotten to see them – I probably watched them play twice this year. He seems motivated. He seems positive. Um, he seems very – he just seems happy. Right, like I can't remember the last time I watched a, a happy Dwight Howard play basketball, and now I feel like I'm doing that, and it scares me a little bit. So, I, I don't really know what the answer is for the Hornets there. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is, I, I thought that you know having Hibbert would be a great kind of matchup for for Dwight, but because of his minute restrictions, he probably won't be out there that long on 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 Dwight. And like you said, he's probably been the happiest he's been since Orlando. Uh, but what what I will say is, I was watching the the, the Heat game last night against against Atlanta, and Dwight went out uh, with an injury, I want to say the third or fourth quarter, and he didn't come back, and I don't know what his status is for Friday night. Um, I'm pretty sure he's out tonight in the game that they're playing tonight against um, Milwaukee. He is out tonight. Yeah, you're right. He is out tonight, so that's something to keep an eye on. You know, will he play Friday? Um, I don't think Zeller really matches up with him that that terribly. I, I mean, I don't think Dwight's ever going to be the guy you're throw you're going to throw it into and play out of him completely. So I think Zeller's okay there. And, and Zeller, he plays hard enough. Uh, he's active on defense. He, he you know he approaches rebounding the basketball with a chip on his shoulder. So I think he's okay against Dwight. Um, I think it's you know when Dwight's on the floor, Zeller's not. You know, kind of what you were saying. How does how do the Hornets match up with him? Uh, but right now, Howard's averaging about 15 points uh, on the season, about almost 12 and a half rebounds. Uh, and let's see, right now he's shooting 62% from the floor, uh, which is obviously all at the rim. Pretty good clip. So he's going to be a yeah. problem. Um, he's going to be a problem for the Hornets on on Friday night. Uh, other players, other uh, unless you got another thought on Dwight. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of looking at the stats the other day with Atlanta, and uh, both Millsap and and Howard have had their best, you know, shooting percentage of their career so far. So um, they're definitely an efficient team shooting the ball. And I was also looking at some other stats. They're very unselfish. I think they may be top in the league in assist, um, and they, and they can score the ball. So definitely going to be you know our hands full when we're on defense. Yeah, I don't think any question about that. I mean, I, I think you know you. I didn't expect this seamless of a transition for the Hawks just because I didn't know what to expect from Howard. I don't I'm not on the Dennis Schroeder Schroeder, I don't know how to say his last name. I, I'm not on that bandwagon, never was, still don't really believe in him, but he's been pretty good so far this season. Um and then it just seems like the Hawks have a ton of role players. I mean, Cephalosha has come back from the dead this season. Uh Baysmore continues, you know, his you know, to be worth the money that he got paid, which I wasn't sure about either. All of a sudden, Tim Hardaway Jr. is doing stuff. Uh, Mike Muscala has been a big... Muscala. Yeah, he's been a big plus for them off the bench. So they're just, a, you know, and they, they have a great coach. You know, they're very well coached. So they just seem like a team that meshes well together. They remind me of the Hornets a lot. Yeah, one thing that I did notice, though, that is not very Hornet-like is their turnovers. They average 18 turnovers a game. So if that is something that we can take advantage of, um, and kind of limit their op- offensive possibilities. And hopefully we can kind of continue that trend with them and, and turn the ball over on them. All right, so Atlanta right now, um, offensively, pretty much in the same category as, as Charlotte. Um, Charlotte's 11th in the league in offensive efficiency, Atlanta's 12th. So there they're very close. 
Um, Atlanta right now has the number two defense in the league, uh, which is not really surprising um, considering the way they played under Budenholzer in the past and the fact now they have a true rim protector in Dwight Howard. Um, Charlotte's tied for fourth with Miami. So, I mean, I think these two teams match up uh, really, really well and play very, very similar. Uh, Atlanta rebounds the ball real well, but they go after some offensive rebounds, whereas we know Charlotte does not. Um, but they're going to clean up the defensive glass. Uh, and then the only other stat I really wanted to take a look at was just pace-wise, how fast, oh, fast. Are, the, are the Hawks. They play fast, yeah. So they're fifth in the league, 102.7 um, is their pace right now. And Charlotte is not pulling up the rear. They're right in the middle of the league, kind of league average in pace right now. Um, so you got to rebound the basketball against the Hawks, and you got to try to get them into the half court and make Dennis Schroeder make decisions there, which I, I think is where you want to get this team and, and feel like you have a good chance against them. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, we, they, we definitely have to slow them down. Um, I know that last night Minnesota liked to push the ball as well, and it seemed like because they were going fast, we tended to go a little bit fast and kind of rush things on our end. So we really can't let their, their pace dictate our play. I know that you know, sometimes it's a battle of who, who can, you know, establish their pace on each other. And if, if we start going fast and our offense isn't, isn't looking the greatest because we're rushing into things, um, then they're definitely going to have a handle at this game. Agreed. Agreed. So we got a pick for Friday night. I'll let you start. <laughs> my heart's saying Hornets, but my head is saying, saying Hawks. I, I'm, I'm hoping that the home crowd plays, plays a big role. I'm hoping that the Hornets don't get off to a slow start again, um, but I can almost just just sense that again. I, I don't I don't I don't know how to score, but I do think that the the Hawks are probably going to pull this out. Okay, and do we know now that you're now that I've asked you that question? Now I'm thinking: Do we know the Hawks play tonight? They're certainly off, they're, off, they're tomorrow. off tomorrow. Obviously, right? they're not going to play a back to back to back. Of course, I shouldn't have asked that question. So, uh, so both teams come in with a little bit of rest. Hornets get one extra day of rest than the Hawks. I think I'll take the Hornets here. I, I just feel like I feel like this is that game as I as I talked about earlier that it's kind of prove it to me game uh, from the fan base. You know, beat a team that is on the same level as you, maybe better than you standing wise. The, the Hawks are better than us right now. Um, so I think it's a prove it game. I think the Hornets do it. I think they get to eight and three. Um, and I think that the league really starts to take a look and say, okay, Cleveland, Atlanta, Toronto, Charlotte, so. maybe Boston, you know, if they can get healthy. I know they've missed Horford a little bit this early season, but I think that if the Hornets get this win Friday night. I think they're officially in that early season group of this is, these are one of the teams we need to keep an eye on that maybe can compete with Cleveland, maybe make it to the And, I, and I will finals. say, like, prior to the season, I, I probably had the Hornets, you know, around the 6-7 seed. Uh, but after these first 10 games, I'm up in my expectations a little bit. I think that they probably could pull out a 4 or 5 seed. It would be great to get that, you know, that home court advantage in, in the playoffs, but that's, that's way down the line. Yeah, I, I mean, I just – the most impressive thing with the Hornets so far this season is getting those early season road wins. So Milwaukee, Miami, Minnesota um, – those are three teams, eh, Miami maybe not, but Milwaukee's going to be in the hunt. Uh, I think Minnesota people think they'll be in the hunt for the eighth seed in the West. So those are not three easy road wins, and the fact that the Hornets have figured out a way to get those early in the season, it's going to make life easier on them as we move into the season. Those are the kind of games I think you look back on, you're like, man, that's a big win if things get tight for the Hornets down down the stretch. But, okay, so let's um, let's talk a little bit about – early season performances uh, from certain players. 
I, I think the natural starting point here is to talk about Kimba. And the first question I would ask you, I have an opinion, but I want you to get a first. He's averaging 20, 26 points per game right now, which is pretty ridiculous, even even to Kimba's standards, shooting 49% from the field and shooting 48% <laughs> on seven attempts per game from behind the arc. Is this sustainable, Richie? Maybe not his field goal percentage. I think that that could kind of drop down a little bit because he is shooting 50% from two, 48% from three. Um, but with the way he's going, I, I can definitely see him, you know, having stats, you know, a little bit higher than last year. Um, I don't know if the actual, the, the averages will stay, um, but he's doing a great job of being aggressive and his shot has improved every single year. And like you said, because his shot has improved every single year, it makes him more difficult to defend. And he's just, he's just the heart of the Hornets. He's very aggressive. Um, he goes after loose balls. And I definitely think that he's going to sustain this, the, the, the performance, the high performance, but the averages might dip a little. Yeah, so I would agree with everything that you said. I, I think that the points per game could stay where it is or, or close from the 23 to 25 range just because Kim, Kim is a volume guy, right? Like he's going to find a way to get to that. Right. Might not be the most efficient <laughs> uh, way ever, but that, that's not his thing. But yes, the shooting percentages, the efficiency numbers, like I do think that stuff comes back to earth uh, a little bit. Um you know, I'm a little concerned right now um, with Kimba's minutes. And, and surprisingly enough, he's he's not playing per night the most minutes of, of any Hornet. Uh, let's see, right now it's actually Batum at 34 minutes per game. You know, Kimba's playing uh, just shy of 33. I think that's something that people, Hornets fans, need to watch this season. I mean, th- just th- to your point, the way he plays. You know, he plays hard, he goes after loose balls. He plays 100 miles an hour for the entire game um, that he's on the floor. Clifford's going to have to start managing that. You know, the knee surgeries last night, you see the, you know, the back that, that stiffens up and freezes up on him. You know, the the back thing is 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 a early season wear and tear. I mean, if it's freezing up, he's got some cramps. I mean, those are stuff that, that have to be managed. And it goes without saying he's the most important guy on the floor every single night for the Hornets. So that's going to be something interesting to watch for me as the season goes on. I can't believe how good he's been. I can't believe how fun he is to watch play. I mean, it's it's he, to me, and I'm biased, of course, <laughs> he's, he's one of the top three most fun guys to watch in the league this year, to me. I mean, he just – how he puts the team on his back, the speed he plays at, the way he's shooting the ball, um, the way he br- he's bringing the Hornets back in these second-half comebacks. It's just so much fun. Um, now let me ask you this question. Uh, will this be the year that Kimba cracks the uh, all-star seal? Will he finally get, get to an all-star game? Yes, I think he will. Yeah. I think he will. I think he's finally getting the respect around the league. And with the way he's playing right now, he's definitely a top point guard in the East, uh, if not – if not the top point guard in the East. Whether he'll get in um, as a reserve or as a starter, that's probably a different question altogether. But I, I think he will be an all-star this year, most definitely. Yeah, I would. I think I would agree with you. I, it's all about health, and it is for everybody. But if he stays healthy, I, I don't see a scenario where Kimma doesn't, doesn't keep this up the way this team is built um, with the healthy pieces around him. I agree with you. I think I think he finally becomes an all-star this year. Um, let's. All right, so... Just kind of on that point, real quickly, let's try to run through this. What about Isaiah Thomas? I think that's a good that's a good case study here. I like Isaiah. I feel like he always goes off against us. Um, 
I think they're, they're both kind of like similar builds, very small, uh, undersized for a point guard. Uh, they both got, you know, heart. They compete every night. If I had to choose between Isaiah Thomas and Kemba for, for my team, I, I would choose Kemba. I mean, I, I love the way that Isaiah Thomas plays. Uh, he can shoot the ball. Uh, he can pass the ball. But just because I've come accustomed to Kemba and watching him play, I would definitely take Kemba over, over Thomas. Yeah, I, I think they're very similar. Um, I like parts of Thomas's game that I don't like about Kimba's and vice versa. I think Kimba's more under control. Uh, I think he's a better true point guard um, setting up his teammates. I think Isaiah Thomas is incredible as it is. He's better at finishing through contact, finishing around the rim than Kimba is at this point. Um, and I don't, I don't know. He's just so good at keeping his balances when he gets in, you know, in midair as a small guy. I think Kimba's still progressing um in that part of his game's never been very good at finishing among the trees um you know through contact kim was hunting the foul more i think thomas has learned the art of finishing around the rim as a smaller guy that's something that he does better than kimba but i agree with you i I think the the little bit more experience that kimba has in the league um over isaiah i think i give him the nod there so I, i do like walker uh ahead of him um all right here's an interesting one well maybe it's not that interesting Derek Rose or Kemba Walker? Is everyone saying, yeah, definitely Kemba over Derek Rose? Or do you think? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think that uh, that Derek Rose's time has is, is come and gone, uh, especially with those injuries uh, to his knee. You know, at his, at his peak level, Rose is definitely better than Kemba. He's a very explosive player, gets to the rim. But now I, I would take Kemba 10 times out of 10. Okay. Um, I'm going to throw a rapid fire real quick. Jeff Teague. Or Kemba? Kemba. Okay, Kemba, I would agree with you there. Kemba or Dennis Schroeder? Kemba. I don't like I don't like Schroeder's defense. Okay. I, I would agree with you there. Sure we're not leaving any obvious well, oh yeah, we are leaving somebody out. Uh yes. Okay, Kyle Lowry or Kemba. Kyle Lowry to me is a very streaky player. I think that uh last year he, he played well. He was an all star last year. I think his highs may be better than Kemba, but I think the, he's very streaky. I feel like I'm being a homer, but maybe maybe I would choose Kemba over Lowry. Okay, yeah, I would take, and kind of for the same reason I took Kemba over Isaiah Thomas, I, I would take Lowry, I think. Um, and I, Gosh, I, I almost lost complete faith in Lowry during the playoffs last year with how much he struggled. It was, it was just really disappointing because I'm a big Kyle Lowry fan, and how much he struggled in the playoffs last year made me worry about his psyche as a player. But the way he's rebounded this year, you know, gives me gives me hope for him. Um, I, I like his experience playing in big spots, um, you know, playing in these deep deep round playoff series um, over maybe what Kemba has in the arsenal. So, so it's really just the experience thing. Um, but I think they're really really close. Um, but I think I would take Lowry. And so the last one that's obvious, and and I think we both know what the answer is here. So Kyrie Irving. Or Kimba, I'm taking Kyrie. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the obvious answer is Kyrie. Okay, okay, so we agree on that one. Okay, so we're saying Kyrie Irving. Uh, we're split on on uh, on Kyle Lowry, and then you're taking John Wall still. That's fifty fifty. If I had to choose, I probably would take John Wall. Okay, and I'm taking I'm taking John Wall there. I don't really think there's anybody else worth discussion. So we're saying Kimba's right in that four to five range in the East. Uh, when it comes to point guards, you know, Isaiah Thomas is right there. Maybe a healthy Reggie Jackson's right there. Um, I don't know if we 
Do we call the Greek freak? I'm not going to try no. to say his last name. Giannis, do we call him a point guard? I, I, I don't. No. I, I don't know. I just I can't compare those two, right? Um, so, okay, so we say Kemba's 4-5 in the East as far as point guards. I think he has to separate himself from Kyle Lowry and Isaiah Thomas. To, to, assuming that Kyrie and John Wall stay healthy, I think he has to separate himself between those two guys to have really a good chance to make the All-Star game, but I think he's worthy of it. So... I think it's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I guess that's the best word to put. He's definitely worthy of it. Whether or not he'll get it, uh, it's a matter of respect. And I, th- I think that this year, out of any year, he, he should he should be on that all-star team. It, absolutely. Agreed on that. Um, okay, so let's talk about Frank Kaminsky a little bit. We touched on him earlier. Best game of the season last night. So it seems like good timing that we, we discuss him right now. So, Richie, what's his what's his position on the floor? I mean, I think that's like the elephant in the room question. See, that's that's where I struggle with. I think he's a very I've used this word a lot, a very ambiguous player. I think yeah. that there's a lot of things that kind of slant him towards the power forward, and there's some things that slant him towards the center. I think that defense on both ends, whether it's power forward or center, he's going to need to improve. He's not that physical down low. Uh, he gets beat a lot down low in the post, uh, but then also on the perimeter, he's not very quick with his feet and he overruns people a lot on those closeouts I feel like that may be easier to fix than you know getting physical and and beefing up and and being a good low post defender so maybe I mean maybe he might fit more into the category of the power forward Uh, but I do know that I feel like the best time he's done scoring wise I feel like in his career his two-year career has been down low I mean because he's been very inconsistent shooting the ball and I think he's his his confidence lacks sometimes because he doesn't know whether he should shoot the ball or not. But last night, you would never notice. You would never notice that. Sure, yeah, last night definitely his best game. I I think I agree with you on most of that. Um, definitely been an inconsistent shooter. Um, this year, he's shooting 31.5% from deep, uh, and he's taken about four and a half threes a game. And for his career, he's yeah, just, just north of, of 33%. Um but he's scoring 11 points a game this year. Which is, his, which is uh, higher than last year's. Which is higher than last year. Um, he's getting more attempts. He is getting a few more minutes. Um, and really, the biggest difference is he, he's taking more shots. So he's almost taking 10 shots a game in 23 minutes. That's a lot. Um, so he's definitely you know getting offense driven his way. He's not hesitating. Um But kind of to your point, he's better around the basket. I would agree with you there. Um, I think that when he's playing the power forward position, it puts him in a situation to expose smaller defenders a lot. Uh, I think maybe you saw that some last night. I'm guessing. Again, I haven't seen the game yet, so I'll watch it um, here in a little bit. But you know, the one thing with Frank that really perturbs me is that he's shooting 62% from the foul line, and I, I just feel like that's inexcusable. Number one, he's not getting there enough. But then number two, he's got to be better than that for a guy who's known as a shooter, albeit he's been inconsistent. He can't shoot 62% from the free throw line. Right, and I, I do think that the Hornets, I mean, I haven't looked at the stats, uh, but our free throw shooting this year hasn't been kind of up to our average. Uh, many people inconsistent. I know that Marcos shot the ball well. Hibbert has shot the ball well from the free throw line. But, yeah, a lot of people are just inconsistent from the free throw line. Now, we do get to the line a lot, Um so that we kind of make up for it in that way. But, yeah, if, if Frank is considered a shooter, he's going to have to get better from the free throw line because that's probably a good indicator of how good of a shooter you are. If you can't shoot from the free throw line, you're you're not really considered a shooter in my eyes. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with you. So, you know, it, it, and the other thing about Frank's 
about Frank's game is I'm waiting on him, and he's gotten better with this. He he has no problem with the first dribble attacking a closeout and getting by that guy. Now, the decision-making following that um, has been suspect, but we saw that same problem with Zeller you know, mm-hmm. for many, many years, everybody preached to us that, oh, he's going to be a stretch, you know, a stretch four or maybe even be a stretch five and be able to shoot threes. I don't know if that's ever going to come, but Zeller has turned the corner of making better decisions, you know, when he has beat that defender, playing four on three, whatever we're doing, he's making the right play. Now, Frank is definitely still struggling in that area. So, you know, can he make that, ba- I would just call it the basketball IQ leap on the offensive end? Can he learn to make the simple play? Can you learn to read the help defenders, read the rotations, know where the ball is supposed to go? Um, because he's already got the first part figured out. He's got the good power dribble with his right hand. Um, he's got the spin move. He's creative once he beats the defender. Can he make the right decision? I, I think that's really consistently. You know, I think that's really the big question mark for him. Okay, yeah, and, and I, I think the only other thing of note right now is his player efficiency rating um, so far this year is about league average, just shy of that. It's 14-6, so you, you certainly want to see that get to at least 15. Um, okay, let, let's talk a little bit about Marco Bellinelli. Uh, we started on it earlier. You, you wisely advised me to, to save it until now. Everyone wanted to tell you that this was a just a terrible, stupid Worst trade uh, of the draft. Can't believe that the Hornets traded Malachi Richardson or the rights to, to draft him for a guy who's going to c- come in and contribute immediately to a team that's already ready to win. Try to explain that to me, Rich. I didn't get it when people were criticizing it because he had a bad year in Sacramento. Michael Jordan would have had a bad year in, in, in Sacramento. Okay, like that is a it is not a place for any guy to go and say, you know what, I'm going to get better as a player now. It's just not going to happen. So I never held that season against him. Talk us through why this has been a good trade for the Hornets, if that's how you feel. No, that's definitely how I feel. I think that a lot of people when they saw that trade initially, uh, they they saw his most recent season with Sacramento. They didn't really, you know, think about the situation that he was in. The only downside to the trade would have been the money issue, but for what we would have got out of that 22nd pick, uh, I definitely wasn't a fan of Malachi. He, he can't shoot the ball. It wouldn't have been worth it because the, the way our team is constructed right now, uh, we're trying to win now. We needed someone to come in right away, produce, and I know that we tried to get Marco in the past. Now that he's within our system, with, with Coach Clifford's system, he has done well. Uh, he has shot the ball better than he has last year. He hasn't scored as many points, but he's not as you know critical to our offense as maybe he would have been in Sacramento. And he is definitely an underrated ball handler and passer as well. Absolutely. I mean, uh, he can definitely, in a pinch, uh, play in ball screens, play in pick-and-roll situations with the ball and be a creator. He, he Marco is a guy, I have so much fun watching him. I mean, I don't know if you remember this play, Richie, but, and I can't remember who we were playing now. He's running down the court. In a semi-transition scenario, he makes a, a, a cut right to the middle of the basket. The center wasn't back yet. He catches the ball under the basket. Can almost almost like he's got eyes in the back of his head. The guy's coming to block his 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 layup, which would be a tough left-handed layup, and he flips the ball without even looking behind his head to the opposite corner, the corner he's going away from, which is exactly where, and now I can't remember the player, should have been, but he went to cut behind Bellinelli to follow the shot. And I'm like, that tells you how high of an IQ the guy has. He knows where guys on the floor are supposed to be. And I want to I want to say it was 
I thought it was Who Graham. Was it? I think it was Graham. You're probably right. It probably was Graham. And Graham's acting on his instinct. Okay, my defender's not here. Bellinelli's probably going to miss this really tough shot. I'm going to follow the shot where it really he should have been in the corner, especially in a Clifford coach system where you don't want offensive rebounders. Um, but that play, to me, epitomizes how Bellinelli thinks the game, which is he sees things before they happen. He knows where defenders are, and he knows where his guys are supposed to be. Right. I mean, he does get a little careless with the ball sometimes with his uh, his behind-the-back passes. Uh, he tries to be a little bit too cute sometimes. But he definitely has the vision. He sees things before they happen. You almost wonder if he's played, you know, point guard in the past because he does have that vision. And he has those qualities that, you know, makes him a good distributor and gets everyone involved. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's, he's like the, the consummate European basketball player. They're all versatile. They can all do more than, you know, one thing. They can all dribble, shoot, pass, cut, have high IQs. I mean, he, he really is. And he's, yeah, he's, he's a European basketball player that I think the Hornets are happy to have. Um, okay, so let, let's look a little bit deeper at his numbers so far through 10 games. So really, his field goal percentage isn't awesome. Uh, he's shooting about 40% from the field, but he's shooting 42 and a half um, from three-point land, which you kind of touched on earlier. He's been good. He's taken about almost three and a half threes per game in 25 minutes per game, scoring nine points. I mean, everything looks pretty good. Here's what I want to talk about a little bit. So, yes, you brought up the money earlier, which is what, six? Is it that, that six right. mil? Yeah, six. I don't know how to pull it up, but it, I think it's six million into next year as well. Um, biggest contract of his career when he when he signed that, that contract in Sacramento. So, whatever. I get it. He chased the money. Um, for what the Hornets would have had to pay uh, Courtney Lee, um, which we're seeing, he got paid. Twelve. 12, I think, 12 a year by New York. Um, so you're cutting that in half. I know people say, well, the Hornets could have figured out a way to retain Lee, yada, yada, yada. I think this really, you get a, get a discount on Sessions from Lynn. You get a discount on Lee uh, with Bellinelli. And really, we're not seeing you know, backwards, backwards movement with the efficiency of anything. Um I never understood it, the criticism of this trade in the first place. I definitely don't get it now um, because, yes, you can compare the Hornets letting Lee walk knowing they were going to you know, bring Bellinelli in in the trade draft night, but I think they knew they weren't interested in bringing uh, Courtney Lee back, knew that Bellinelli was going to be anything better than anything they got with the 24th pick. So I think this ends up being a really good deal for the Hornets, and I think Bellinelli's a guy who becomes more important as the year goes. I agree. I mean, there's no, there was no guarantee that, that Lee would have stayed with us. That we, you know, we didn't know how much we could offer him. He probably would have been over our asking price, so we wanted to go with the sure thing. Absolutely. Um, so Bellinelli, a plus for the Hornets so far. We all know that Kimba has led the team this year. I think the big question is, and and I could we could we could present the question by who's the second best player for the Hornets. I, I want to say Kim is the best player. Who's been the most impactful player? So not necessarily the best, second best. Right. But who's been the most impactful guy for the Hornets outside of Kimba? Yeah, I mean, I think, ta- think talent-wise, when you say second best player, everyone would you know point to Batum. You know, he's, he's yeah. a very well-rounded player. And I know this might surprise people, or maybe not, uh, I think that the best, the second best, uh, or the second most impactful person this year uh, has been Zeller in my eyes. I think that he's been very uh, involved uh, when it comes to like their comebacks. Uh, he's been very physical down low, grabbing rebounds. 
and I know his his mid range game hasn't developed, uh, but he is getting so he's doing so well in the pick and rolls. Um, he like you said, he knows what to do with the ball after receiving that pass, whether it's attacking the basket or, or, or passing it out to an open shooter. I just think that he's very efficient, and I think I think field goal percentage wise, other than Hibbert, he, he's the second on the team. And you know, I, Hibbert Hibbert has done well this you know this year as well, but just because of his limited minutes, I, I I couldn't give it to him. But so the second most impactful player to me in my eyes is is definitely Cody Zeller. I agree with you one hundred percent, and I'm and I'm glad um, I'm glad that you're seeing that um, Zeller has been he's played with an aggressiveness this season that that I haven't seen in the past. Um, and I caught a lot of flack <laughs> when I went on uh, Nate Duncan's Dunked On podcast in the preseason. He asked me about Zeller. I said, you know, I think this is a prove-it-to-me kind of year. I don't have super high hopes. I'm not quite sure the Hornets pick up the option. And I got shredded by Hornets fans. And, and, <laughs> and probably rightfully so. Maybe they saw something I didn't. Um, but he's like he's a different guy this year. I mean, he's always been a guy who will put his body on the line. Um, but this year he's doing it under control and he's doing it with control. a sense of confidence, right? Like where it's not like I'm just going to hustle just to hustle, right? That's always been a part of him, but he's doing it under control this year and his numbers reflect that. Um, let's see right now. Sellers averaging 10 and a half a game points wise. Um, to your point, he's, he's been great, efficient and field goal wise, you about 58% from the field. Um, He's yanking down five rebounds per game right now. Now, we're only talking about 23 minutes per game. Um, but his impact on the offensive end, really on the offensive and defensive end, but I think he's the number one reason outside Kimball Walker, the Hornets have been as good as they have been offensively this year for all the reasons we've already talked about. Defensively, it's like you wouldn't notice that he's that he's guarding the Andre Germans and Dwight Howards, um, you know, in these behemoth centers that he has to – a lot because of how he uses his hands when he guards. He traces the ball or mirrors the ball, which you talk about. He bothers shots. Not going to block a lot of shots. He never will. Mm. But he bothers shots. And and I just think rebounding the basketball, um, he has been he's been the most important thing for the Hornets this year. Really outside of MKG, um, he he's been he's really held it all together. So I agree with you. I think he's the second most impactful player uh, for the Hornets. Um, Let's talk real quickly about the other two guys that, that maybe would be in contention for that um, for that prize, so to speak. Let's start with MKG. Um, he stayed healthy through 10 games, so that's probably the biggest plus. Um, you know, outside of that, what, what have you seen from MKG? Maybe positive and negative, because I think there's a little bit of both here. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with the negative. Obviously, his, uh, his shooting hasn't improved. I mean, the seven games that he played last year, he actually had – uh, pretty good field goal percentage from from out from out deep, um, although albeit it was only like two two shots per game from three. Um, so I guess that's never really going to be part of his game. Uh, he's definitely going to be a slasher, trying to get into the rim, be aggressive that way. I think a lot of what MK, MKG does doesn't show up show up on the stat sheet. Um, he hustles, he grabs rebounds, he plays great defense, he gets his hands in the passing lanes. Um, so he does impact the game in ways that you wouldn't be able to tell if you just looked at the box score. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's always probably going to be a big part of his game. Um, just the positive is that there's your, you know, there's Clifford's uh, chess piece to put on the other team's best offensive player, their best wing score every single night. 
um, that guy makes <laughs> any wing uh, uh, he makes their life a terror um, for 48 minutes, and and that you know that's what he's been able to bring to the Hornets so far this season. It, it gives them the ability to do different things defensively. When you have a guy like MKG who's not going to let the ball get um, to the rim, or really he's not going to let the foot touch the paint. Uh, you know, the offensive player foot touch the paint if he can have something to do with it. And sometimes that leads to an open shot because he's going to help off a good shooter to stop dribble, dribble penetration. You know, but having him gives Clifford the ability to do a lot of different things. I think that the Hornets can be more a pa- aggressive in passing lanes. Um, I think they can chase off the three-point line easier because they're not in so much pressure to overhelp. And I think they can send uh, plays to their bigs Really, when Hibbert's in there with MKG, I like that lineup a lot um, because I think that you know Clifford's more comfortable being aggressive defensively, especially with MKG in there, sending the ball towards the rim where Hibbert can bother shots, block shots, clean stuff up, and send the Hornets going the other way. So that's the positive for MKG. You already said the negative, um, <laughs> which is, yeah, he's, he's, he's not shooting. He hasn't made a three this season. Um, he hasn't taken many, but he hasn't knocked one down yet. He's shooting 44% from the field. Uh Scoring eight eight and a half points a game, um, so it's just kind of the same story offensively. We don't really see anything different. He's getting to the line three times a game, which which is not terrible, not great, but he is. And he shoot, is he shooting the ball from free throw pretty he good? Is. I, I don't he know is. He is. He's seventy eight percent from the free throw line, which is probably one of the best on this team right now uh, for a team that's not shooting the ball very well from the line. Um, so I don't really know. There's that much to touch on offensively. Teams are still not even pretending like he's on the floor. Uh, when they're playing defense, they're helping way off of him, which you know continues to be a problem for the Hornets' offense, and continues to be an issue for Clifford. Of do I leave him in the game, you know, late, or, or or do I bring him out? I mean, and that's until he can at least knock down that mid-range jumper at a at a halfway decent clip. Um, teams are going to not guard him. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. But he has the green light on the offensive glass every single possession, and you know those kind of garbage. Uh, get in there, stick my nose in the dirt, get the offense rebound, get a putback or get to the line. You know, that's where MKG does his damage. Um, and I think yeah. that's another fold that maybe goes underrated for this team is that, you know, without him out there when he's injured, the Hornets literally aren't sending one guy to the offensive glass. With him there, he has the green light to go there every time. And it, and it does add a dynamic that teams have to be aware of because, yeah, you can you can just say we got to box him out. But boxing out MKG is not like boxing out any other guy. I mean, that's a that's a ball of fury coming at the rim, and it's going to take more than one body, you know, to keep to keep his leverage out of there. So, um, so I think he makes the team better. Um, I think all the numbers tell you that uh, his player efficiency rating is only 13 right now, so it's under the league average. But I think we agree that all the things we expect to see from MKG as a player, and all the impacts that we expect to see, we've seen so far this year. And on top of that, guess what? He's only 23 years old still, which a lot of people probably right. forget. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think anything else. That, that... I mean, it's just a lot of things that he does on the court, you just can't teach. Like the energy, the hustle, all those types of well things said, yep. really can't be taught. So it's, it's great to have a player like him on the court. And I know, you know, this, you know he doesn't have these crazy stats, but if he was off the court for an extended period of time and he gets injured again, we would feel the impact. Absolutely. Well said. Um, okay, and then Marvin, real quickly, um, talk about Marvin for a minute. He's, he's had a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde season to this point. 
Yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, in, in Cleveland the other night, uh, he didn't shoot the ball too well. When he is on, I mean, it's great. I mean, I, I think that he's a, he's a great player to have on the court to stretch the floor. I love his energy. He's, he's probably one of the best teammates, uh, maybe other than MKG. And defensively, he, he brings it every night, and he grabs, grabs you know, a, a good bit, a good bit of rebounds for us. I just think that he gets, needs to get a little bit more consistent shooting the ball, and that will open things up offensively for us. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you there. He's struggling uh, offensively so far this season. He, he's very well. He's not even quite to thirty four percent from the field. Um, not even quite to thirty five percent from behind the arc. He's averaging almost eleven points a game, seventy one percent from the free throw line. So all those clips are way way down from last season, um, and. Not that everybody is that anybody's real surprised by that. I think everyone expected Marvin to regress from one of the more random seasons that I've seen in the NBA in a long time. How good he was last year. Um, he's thirty years old now. Um, you know, here's another guy who plays super hard, fits perfect into this system. Talking earlier about minutes, you know, he's a guy who's playing twenty eight and a half right now. As the season goes on might be a player that I see Clifford giving rest to on nights um, to preserve him. And there's an opportunity for Frank to step in and get some big-time minutes. I just think that at 30 years old, you know, to have the success the Hornets did last year over an 82-game season, you're going to need Marvin, especially at the end of games, with his ability to stretch the floor, switch almost anything defensively. Um, But I think he's showing his age a little bit. So – I would keep an eye on his minutes as the season goes on, how much rest Clifford gives him when we get to the halfway point, maybe moving into the second half. You know, will he get those nights off? Um, but he's certainly, it's certainly obvious that he's taken a step backwards um, and, and really doesn't look like he has the explosiveness even from a year ago to me. Um, but again, I mean, I think age is a big factor here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the minutes thing is definitely a factor. I think that Clifford might have to kind of monitor those the good thing is that he has some he has some backups that kind of can fill in for him. And we were talking about minutes earlier with Kimba. His backup has not been playing too well, Sessions. So um, at least you have some flexibility there with, with, with Marvin. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, he's another one of those guys that makes the offense go. Marvin really didn't show the ability to, to punish a closeout, uh, even in his Utah days. And last year, all of a sudden, here's a guy who's you know, showing these herky-jerky moves when he gets past the closeout with a first and second dribble, finishing around the rim and always making the right pass. So you, you continue to need that out of Marvin uh, because he really is the consummate floor spacer. So he's going to set those ball screens and he's going to pop them. Uh, he's going to be in the corner in a lot of sequences. So he's going to have a lot of, uh, of defenders running at him, sprinting at him, trying to get him off that three-point line. So he's crucial um, to make those plays read the defense. He's the guy with the ball in his hands a lot with a scrambling defense. And that's the thing uh, to pay attention to with Marvin. Can he continue to make the right play and make the right pass uh, and set the Hornets up for an open shot, which he's been able to do in his few seasons here in Charlotte. Um, but the most important thing for him is getting better offensively and knocking down more of those three-point attempts, which is most of where his offensive production is going to come from. Um, Correct. Okay, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit. And we've covered pretty much the, the individual players that we wanted to in this episode. Let's just talk real quickly and try to get through this rather rather fast about the second unit. Um, it's been inconsistent this year. Last last night we saw an awesome second unit. 
I think uh, I think maybe in Cleveland uh, the other day we saw a second unit who kept the Hornets in that game. Um, what are your early season thoughts on that second unit that entered the season with a lot of question marks? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest word is inconsistent. Like they they will have these stretches where they're they're great with the ball movement on offense. Uh, and like you said, in Cleveland, I believe it was Cleveland, where they made that, that huge comeback, and they were vital in that comeback. Uh, defensively, uh, individually, they're not the greatest. Um, you know, you have, you have Sessions, you have Bellinelli, not the greatest, the defensive individual players. Um, I do wonder uh, if, if Hibbert would, would fit well with that unit just because he can kind of protect the rim in situations where defensive breakdowns occur. I think that at the highs, they've, they've done well, but they've also had some some really bad lows, especially defensively. Yes. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you there. And I, I mean, I think they're limited defensively. I mean, anytime that you have Spencer Hawes and Ramon Sessions sharing the floor, um, you're going to you're gonna bleed <laughs> defensively. So, um, But, yeah, on Sessions for a second, you know, he's been, when you look at his numbers and you just, you know, if you hadn't watched him play all year, and you just looked at his numbers, you would say, how in the world is this guy playing almost 20 minutes a game? I mean, it's awful. He, he's shooting 29% from the field. He's scoring five points a game. Um, you know, it, nothing looks good on paper when you look at it. I would contend to say that Sessions can't get worse offensively. He's going to improve. He's not turning the ball over this year. He's, he's barely at one turnover per game to three and a half assists. That's a good assist-to-turnover ratio. Mm-hmm. He Sessions is not the same player he was when he was in a Bobcats uniform, okay? Um, rest in peace, Bobcats. He, he's 30 now. Um, he, you know, he used to be a guy that would attack the rim with a reckless abandonment. He would get to the foul line a lot. That's just not the remote Sessions that, that plays or exists anymore. Um, but I think he's done a decent job at just getting out there, steadying the ship, again, not turning the ball over, and, and keeping the Hornets – in games you know i think he understands that role very well he's not trying to be something that he's not anymore which for a long time i i I thought that was really something that held ramon sessions back um you know trying to be such an offensive player you know that he lead you know he has selfless turn or careless turnovers uh gets the rim gets a shot block now there's transition play going the other way for the opposition i think that ramon sessions is dead i don't i I think he knows that that's no longer his game at 30 i know those numbers look bad I think they're going to get better, and I actually think he's done a decent job running the second unit. And I know that's not going to be the popular vote, but that's just kind of the eye test that I get. I, I see a guy who knows what he is, who takes on that second uh, that second point guard role. He comes in, he's, and he knows his job is to not let the game get away from Charlotte. Um, and I think that as he learns how to play in that role more and more as the season goes on, I think you're going to see a better Ramon Sessions a guy who gets the foul line a little bit more, a guy who doesn't shoot 29% from the field. Um, so I'm kind of trying to make my case for Ramon Sessions here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, it's hard to buy. It's hard to buy. I mean, I, I just think that, um, you know, he, he still has those tendencies where he drives to the rim a lot. Um, he does well when, he, when he, he's under control and, and he, and he kind of puts up a floater. Uh, but a lot of times he's kind of spastic when he gets there. And I don't think he's shooting the three ball all that well this year. And um, hopefully he doesn't, you know, keep shooting that ball and, and, and causing fast breaks the other way. Yeah, no, he has not. He has been uh, pathetic, in fact, from three-point land. He's uh, just shy of 17% uh, on about a, a one, 1.2 attempts per game. So it's been bad. I mean, I, I think that 
we know that he's not a good three-point shooter, never has been. But I don't know. I think those numbers go up. I don't think he's turning the ball over. I think he's coming in. He's passing. He's cutting. He he, he fits along next to Bellinelli um, and high IQ players like that. I, I just think that the hate has maybe gone a little too far for Sessions, and I think the Hornets fans should know that it's going to get better as the season goes on. Um Let's see. Um, second unit guys, maybe that we haven't touched on so far. I, th- I think we've really Spencer. Uh, yeah, I guess we could touch on Haas. I, now, there's one guy I can, I can, I can't stand watching him play. I, I, I really don't enjoy watching him play basketball. And when he made not even his pa- not even his passing. Yeah, I mean he's a good passer. Don't, don't get me wrong. He has great vision. He's a poor man's what Josh McRoberts was to the Bobcats the year they went to the playoffs in the Heat in that first round series. But, man, oh, man, I, I, you talk about a guy who tries to do things and be something he's not. Spencer Hawes, is the, he, he is that guy. Um, when he makes a good play, I just find myself laughing, like, uh, how did that happen? And then when he makes a bad play, right. I just want to pull my hair out. So, But he's been – I don't know. I, I'm going to be negative Nancy on this one with him, so I'm going to let you talk about him because he has done some good stuff for this bench. I mean, it's it's hit or miss for me. Like he does have great vision. He he loves that backdoor pass, and he is that type of big that that can get others involved. Uh, other than that, like you said, like when he does these things that he's he's trying to be something that he's not, it does make you want to pull your hair out. He just seems very hesitant in what he's doing when he goes to the basket. If he doesn't, you know, he's if he's not looking for that pass, if he's looking for a shot, it just kind of looks painful to watch sometimes because he doesn't really feel confident in what he's doing. Right. No, no, I, I would agree. And, that, you know, I think the biggest the biggest plus you get out of Hawes being on the floor is that you're going to get an offense that, you know, is very spread. So you're really going to have five guys out of th- outside of the three-point line. You're going to put a lot of pressure and stress on the defense with the rim being unprotected. Um, and the ball moves, you know, with Spencer in there most of the time. Sometimes he, he, he holds it longer than he should. But for the most part, the ball moves with that second unit. Uh, it's not stationary. You don't have any ISO players. Um, you know, with Hawes, I just – I would like to see him be more decisive. You know, he's left alone on the pick and pop so often. Catch and shoot the ball. I mean, you're not a great three-point shooter. Um, this year, really not good, barely shooting 22%. But make a quicker decision, right? Like, he, he has this tendency. He'll, he'll pop after he sets the screen. He'll catch it. And it's like he watches the defender run all the way to him before he makes a decision. It's like, look, put it on the floor and go by the guy, okay, or shoot the ball. I, I just I would like him to be more decisive there. Um, so, But he has done good things for the second unit. He's shooting 48.5% from the field for a guy that doesn't finish around the rim very often, which is pretty good, um, and almost five rebounds uh, in, in 15, eh, 16 minutes per game. So pretty good we'll see if it lasts i don't think it will i think with hibbert now back i don't really know where hawes and kaminsky if he continues to blossom i don't really know where hawes fits in the rotation he might not yeah and clifford likes to play nine guys right. he doesn't like to play 10 so um with, with if hibbert is fully healthy i'm not sure where they fit right in. he certainly made a case he's he's played good enough kept water out of the boat to, to make a case for more playing time but uh but that remains to be seen um, all right, Richie. So we've covered a lot. Um, I think this thing's probably been a little over an hour. So anything else that, that we haven't talked about? I don't think so. I just think that we're uh, we're all ready for for Friday night after a seven and three start. 
And I think that we we're hoping for a, a marquee win with the Hornets at you know seven o'clock at the Spectrum Center. That's it. So again, you know, this is our first time doing this. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, again, I'm Spencer Percy, managing editor at Queen City Hoops. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at QCH Spencer. So that's at QCH S P E N C E R. Richie, where can folks find you on Twitter? Uh, at Richie Randall R I C H I E R A N D A L L. All right, and don't forget to check out QueenCityHoops.com, ESPN affiliate uh, for the Charlotte Hornets, uh, for all your latest Hornets news. Uh, again, send us your feedback about the podcast. Did you like it? Did you not? What do you want to hear us cover? Um, what you know? What did we do a good job on? So I, I'm envisioning that we we'll hopefully get to do this thing once a week. It might be once every two weeks. Uh, it might be. We'll just see how it goes uh, as we progress. But again, hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.